This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. The Golden Road by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 28 The Path to Arcady. October that year gathered up all the spilled sunshine of the summer and clad herself in it as in a garment. The story girl had asked us to try to make the last month together beautiful, and nature seconded our efforts, giving us the most beautiful of beautiful things, a gracious and perfect moon of falling leaves. There was not in all that vanished October one day that did not come in with a rural splendor and go out attended by a fair galaxy of evening stars. Not a day when there was not a golden lights in the wide pastures and purple hazes in the ripened distances. Never was anything so gorgeous as the maple trees that year. Maples are trees that have primeval fire in their souls. It glows out a little in their early youth, before the leaves open, in the redness and rosy yellowness of their blossoms. But in summer it is carefully hidden under a demure, silver-lined greenness. Then, when autumn comes, the maples give up trying to be sober and flame out in all the barbaric splendor and gorgeousness of their real nature, making of the hills things out of the Arabian nights in the golden prime of good Heron Alsrichild. You may never know what scarlet and crimson really are until you see them in their perfection on an October hillside under the unfathomable blue of an autumn sky. All the glow and radiance and joy at earth's heart seem to have broken loose in a splendid determination to express itself for once before the frost of winter chills her beating pulses. It is the year's carnival ere the dull Lenten days of leafless valleys and penitential mists come. The time of apple-picking had come around once more, and we worked joyously. Uncle Blair picked apples with us, and between him and the story girl it was an October never to be forgotten. "'Will you go far afield for a walk with me today?' he said to her and me, one idle afternoon, of opal skies, pied meadows, and misty hills. It was Saturday, and Peter had gone home. Felix and Dan were helping Uncle Alex top turnips. Cecily and Felicity were making cookies for Sunday. So the story girl and I were alone in Uncle Stephen's walk. We liked to be alone together that last month, to think the long, long thoughts of youth, and talk about our futures. There had grown up between us that summer a bond of sympathy that did not exist between us and the others. We were older than they, the story girl was fifteen and I was nearly that, and all at once it seemed as if we were immeasurably older than the rest, and possessed of dreams and visions and forward-reaching hopes which they could not possibly share or understand. At times we were still children, still interested in childish things. But there came hours when we seemed to our two selves very grown up and old, and in those hours we talked our dreams and visions and hopes, vague and splendid as all such are, over together, and so began to build up, out of the rainbow fragments of our childhood's companionship, that rare and beautiful friendship which was to last all our lives, enriching and instarring them. 
for there is no bond more lasting than that formed by the mutual confidences of that magic time when youth is slipping from the sheath of childhood and beginning to wonder what lies for it beyond those misty hills that bound the golden road where are you going asked the story girl to the woods that belt the gray hillside ay and overflow beyond it into many a valley purple folded in immemorial peace answered uncle blair i have a fancy for one more ramble in prince edward island woods before i leave canada again but i would not go alone so come you two gay youthful things to whom all life is yet fair and good and we will seek the path to arcady there will be many little things along our way to make us glad joyful sounds will come ringing down the wind a wealth of gypsy gold will be ours for the gathering we will learn the potent unutterable charm of a dim spruce wood and the grace of flexible mountain ashes fringing a lonely glen we will tryst with the folk of fur and feather will hearken to the music of gray old firs come and you'll have a ramble and an afternoon that you will both remember all your lives we did have it never has its remembrance faded that idyllic afternoon of roving in the old carlisle woods with the story girl and uncle blair gleams in my book of years a page of living beauty yet it was but a few hours of simplest pleasure we wandered pathlessly through the sylvan calm of those dear places which seemed that day to be full of a great friendliness uncle blair sauntered along behind us whistling softly sometimes he talked to himself we delighted in those brief reveries of his uncle blair was the only man i have ever known who could when he so willed talk like a book and do it without seeming ridiculous perhaps it was because he had the knack of choosing fit audience though few and the proper time to appeal to that audience we went across the fields intending to skirt the woods at the back of uncle alec's farm and find a lane that cut through uncle roger's woods but before we came to it we stumbled on a sly winding little path quite by accident if indeed there can be such a thing as accident in the woods where i am tempted to think we are led by the good people along such of their fairy ways as they have a mind for us to walk in go to let us explore this said uncle blair it always drags terribly at my heart to go past a wood lane if i can make any excuse at all for traversing it for it is the byways that lead to the heart of the woods and we must follow them if we would know the forest and be known of it where we can really feel its wild heart beating against ours its subtle life will steal into our veins and make us its own forever so that no matter where we go or how wide we wander in the noisy ways of cities or over the lone ways of the sea we shall yet be drawn back to the forest to find our most enduring kinship i always feel so satisfied in the woods said the story girl dreamily as we turned in under the low swinging fir boughs trees are such friendly things they are the most friendly things in god's good creation said uncle blair emphatically and it is so easy to live with them to hold converse with pines to whisper secrets with the poplars to listen to the tales of the old romance that beeches have to tell to walk in eloquent silence with self-contained firs is to learn what real companionship is besides trees are the same all over the world 
A beech tree on the slopes of the Pyrenees is just what a beech tree here in these Carlisle woods is. And there used to be an old pine hereabouts whose twin brother I was well acquainted with in a dell among the Apennines. Listen to those squirrels, will you, chattering over yonder? Did you ever hear such a fuss over nothing? Squirrels are the gossips and busybodies of the woods. They haven't learned the fine reserve of its other denizens. But after all, there is a certain shrill friendliness in their greeting. They seem to be scolding us, I said, laughing. Oh, they are not half such scolds as they sound, answered Uncle Blair gaily. If they would but take a thought and mend their shrew-like ways, they would be dear, lovable creatures enough. If I had to be an animal, I think I'd like to be a squirrel, said the story girl. It must be the next best thing to flying. Just see what a spring that fellow gave, laughed Uncle Blair. And now listen to his song of triumph. I suppose that chasm he cleared seemed as wide and deep to him as Niagara Gorge would to us if we leaped over it. Well, the wood people are a happy folk and very well satisfied with themselves. Those who have followed a dim, winding, balsamic path to the unexpected hollow where a wood spring lies have found the rarest secret the forest can reveal. Such was our good fortune that day. At the end of our path we found it, under the pines, a crystal-clear thing with lips unkissed by so much as a stray sunbeam. It is easy to dream that this is one of the haunted springs of old romance, said Uncle Blair. Tis an enchanted spot, this, I am very sure, and we should go softly, speaking low, lest we disturb the rest of a white, wet naiad, or break some spell that has cost long years of mystic weaving." "'It is so easy to believe things in the woods,' said the story girl, "'shaping a cup from a bit of golden-brown birch-bark "'and filling it at the spring. "'Drink a toast in that water, Sarah,' said Uncle Blair. "'There's not a doubt that it has some potent quality of magic in it, "'and the wish you wish over it will come true.' "'The story girl lifted her golden-hued flagon to her red lips. "'Her hazel eyes laughed at us over the brim. "'Here's to our futures,' she cried. I wish that every day of our lives may be better than the one that went before. An extravagant wish, a very wish of youth, commented Uncle Blair, and yet in spite of its extravagance, a wish that will come true if you are true to yourselves. In that case, every day will be better than all that went before. But there will be many days, dear lad and lass, when you will not believe it. We did not understand him, but we knew Uncle Blair never explained his meaning. When asked it, he was wont to answer with a smile, Some day you'll grow to it. Wait for that. So we addressed ourselves to follow the brook that stole away from the spring in its windings and doublings and tricky surprises. A brook, quoth Uncle Blair, is the most changeful, bewitching, lovable thing in the world. It is never in the same mind or mood two minutes. Here it is sighing and murmuring as if its heart were broken. But listen, Yonder, by the birches, it is laughing as if it were enjoying some capital joke all by itself. It was, indeed, a changeful brook. Here it would make a pool, dark and brooding and still, where we bent to look at our mirrored faces. Then it grew communicative and gossiped shallowly over a broken pebble-bed, where there was a diamond dance of sunbeams, and no troutling or minnow could glide through without being seen. 
Sometimes its banks were high and steep, hung with slender ashes and birches. Again there were mere low margins, green with delicate mosses, shelving out of the wood. Once it came to a little precipice and flung itself over undauntedly in an indignation of foam, gathering itself up rather dizzily among the mossy stones below. It was some time before it got over its vexation. It went boiling and muttering along, fighting with the rotten logs that lay across it, and making far more fuss than was necessary over every root that interfered with it. We were getting tired of its ill-humor and talked of leaving it, when it suddenly grew sweet-tempered again, swooped around a curve, and presto, we were in fairyland. It was a little dell far in the heart of the woods. A row of birches fringed the brook, and each birch seemed more exquisitely graceful and golden than her sister's. The woods receded from it on every hand, leaving it lying in a pool of amber sunshine. The yellow trees were mirrored in the placid stream, with now and then a leaf falling on the water, mayhap to drift away and be used, as Uncle Blair suggested, by some adventurous wood sprite. Who had it in mind to fare forth to some far-off legendary region where all the brooks ran into the sea. Oh, what a lovely place! I exclaimed, looking around me with delight. A spell of eternity is woven over it, surely, murmured Uncle Blair. Winter may not touch it, or spring ever revisit it. It should be like this for ever. Let us never come here again, said the story girl softly. Never, no matter how often we may be in Carlisle. Then we will never see it changed or different. We can always remember it just as we see it now. And it will be like this forever for us. I'm going to sketch it, said Uncle Blair. While he sketched it, the story girl and I sat on the banks of the brook, and she told me the story of the sighing reed. It was a very simple little story, that of the slender brown reed which grew by the forest pool, and always was sad and sighing because it could not utter music like the brook and the birds and the winds. All the bright, beautiful things around it mocked it and laughed at it for its folly. Who would ever look for music in it, a plain, brown, unbeautiful thing? But one day a youth came through the wood. He was as beautiful as the spring. He cut the brown reed and fashioned it according to his liking. And then he put it to his lips and breathed on it. And, oh, the music that floated through the forest! It was so entrancing that everything, brooks and birds and winds, grew silent to listen to it. Never had anything so lovely been heard. It was the music that had for so long been shut up in the soul of the sighing reed, and was set free at last through its pain and suffering. I had heard the story girl tell many a more dramatic tale, but that one stands out for me in memory above them all, partly, perhaps, because of the spot in which she told it, partly because it was the last one I was to hear her tell for many years, the last one she was ever to tell me on the golden road. When Uncle Blair had finished his sketch, the shafts of sunshine were turning crimson and growing more and more remote. The early autumn twilight was falling over the woods. We left our dale, saying good-bye to it forever, as the story girl had suggested, and we went slowly homeward through the fir woods, where a haunting, indescribable odor stole out to meet us. 
"'There is magic in the scent of dying fur,' Uncle Blair was saying aloud to himself, as if forgetting he was not quite alone. "'It gets into our blood like some rare, subtly compounded wine, and thrills us with unutterable sweetness, as of recollections from some other fairer life lived in some happier star. Compared to it, all other scents seem heavy and earth-born, luring to the valleys instead of the heights.' but the tang of the fur summons onward and upward to some far-off divine event, some spiritual peak of attainment, whence we shall see with unfaltering, unclouded vision the spires of some aerial city beautiful, or the fulfillment of some fair, fadeless land of promise. He was silent for a moment, and then added in a lower tone, Felicity, you love the scent of dying fur. If you were here to-night with me, Felicity, Felicity. Something in his voice made me suddenly sad. I was comforted when I felt the story girl slip her hand into mine. So we walked out of the woods into the autumn dusk. We were in a little valley. Halfway up the opposite slope, a brush fire was burning clearly and steadily in a maple grove. There was something indescribably alluring in that fire, glowing so redly against the dark background of forest and twilight hill. "'Let us go to it,' cried Uncle Blair, gaily casting aside his sorrowful mood and catching our hands. "'A wood-fire at night has a fascination, not to be resisted by those of mortal race. Hasten, we must not lose time.' "'Oh, it'll burn a long time yet,' I gasped, for Uncle Blair was whisking us up the hill at a merciless rate. "'You can't be sure. It may have been lighted by some good honest farmer-man, bent on tidying up his sugar-orchard.' "'but it may also, for anything we know, "'have been kindled by no earthly woodman "'as a beacon or summons to the tribes of fairyland, "'and may vanish away if we tarry.' "'It did not vanish, and presently we found ourselves in the grove. "'It was very beautiful. "'The fire burned with a clear, steady glow and a soft crackle. "'The long arcades beneath the trees were illuminated with a rosy radiance, "'beyond which lurked companies of grey and purple shadows. "'Everything was very still and dreamy and remote. "'It is impossible that out there just over the hill lies a village of men, "'where tame household lamps are shining,' said Uncle Blair. "'I feel as if we must be thousands of miles away from everything we've ever known,' murmured the story girl." "'So you are,' said Uncle Blair, emphatically. "'You're back in the youth of the race, "'back in the beguilement of the young world. "'Everything is in this hour, "'the beauty of classic myths, "'the primal charm of the silent and the open, "'the lure of mystery. "'Why, it's a time and place "'when when and where everything might come true, "'when the men in green might creep out to join hands "'and dance around the fire.' or dryads steal from their trees to warm their white limbs, grown chilly in October frosts by the blaze. I wouldn't be much surprised if we should see something of the kind. Isn't that the flash of an ivory shoulder through yonder gloom? And didn't you see a queer little elfin face peering at us around that twisted gray trunk? But one can't be sure. Mortal eyesight is too slow and clumsy a thing to match against the flicker of a pixie-litten fire. Hand in hand we wandered through that enchanted place, seeking the folk of Elfland, and heard their mystic voices calling from fairy knoll and haunted hill. 
Not till the fire died down into ashes did we leave the grove. Then we found that the full moon was gleaming lustrously from a cloudless sky across the valley. Between us and her stretched up a tall pine, wondrously straight and slender and branchless to its very top, where it overflowed in a crest of dark boughs against the silvery splendor behind it. Beyond, the hill farms were lying in a suave white radiance. "'Doesn't it seem a long, long time to you since we left home this afternoon?' asked the story girl. "'And yet it is only a few hours.' "'Only a few hours, true. Yet such hours were worth a cycle of common years, untouched by the glory and the dream.'" End of chapter 28